I've got a question for you this morning. What is the goal of the instruction that takes place at Chatham Christian Church? You know, I preach and teach from God's Word on Sunday mornings while our children are being taught in the nursery. We worship and junior worship. We have Sunday school classes for everyone where God's Word is taught and discussed. We have Bible studies during the week where the scriptures are examined in detail. On Sunday nights, the kids have youth groups that seek to apply God's word to their life, and our adults are now concluding a two-year look at the life of Christ. We teach God's word. There's no doubt about it. But why do we teach it? What is the goal of our preaching and teaching? Well, some might suggest that the reason the church is in existence and teaches God's word is to make sure people know the difference between right and wrong. Okay, we live in a world that seems to think anything goes and everyone should be free to do as they please so the church's role, they would suggest, is to straighten out the world, to teach what's right, expose what's wrong, and get people doing what's right, get them obeying God's laws. And obviously this would be a better place if everyone did know and obey God's laws. I think that's why some are so adamant about posting the Ten Commandments in schools and public places. And obviously that would not be a bad thing. But is posting the Ten Commandments in prominent places and getting everyone to obey the laws of God our objective as a religious teaching institution? Some, no doubt, believe that to be the case, that that's our job, to teach the law of God in a world that doesn't want to hear it. Well, that doesn't quite seem to gel with what Paul told us last week. In 1 Timothy 1.5, he told us that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The goal of all we do as a church in instructing and teaching and preaching is to get people loving God, loving each other, and even loving themselves. And that love comes from a pure heart, a heart that's been cleansed of selfishness, from a good conscience, that has been forgiven and therefore has nothing to hide, and from a sincere faith that trusts God and his word. That, Paul says, is the goal of our instruction. That's what we should be striving for in our preaching and teaching. That should undermine, or un not undermine, but undergird everything that we do as we preach and teach God's word. Now, if that's true, if all of our preaching is to be focused on the love of God, where does right and wrong come in? You know, how does the law 
play into all of this? And what about obedience? Well, don't worry. Paul's going to clear that up for us. In fact, he's going to give us, I believe, a very clear understanding of the purpose and the proper use of the law by addressing a problem that had arisen in Ephesus where some thought their role as ministers and leaders was to be teachers of the law. And as such, they began focusing on the law, teaching the law in the church. That they felt was their calling. And Paul has this to say about that. For some men, straying from these things, what he's been teaching in his introduction, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Apparently, some of the teachers in Ephesus had strayed from the legitimate goal of instruction, or perhaps better translated, they had missed the mark of instruction. They had veered off course, missing their prime objective as teachers, and had focused on legalistic pronouncements. They had decided that the best way to make good Christians was to zero in on the things they could control on external observances and behaviors, and that by doing so, hopefully they would change lives and change hearts. The fallacy of their assumption, I think, is beautifully expressed in something I read years ago, but I have no idea where it came from. Laws, rules, and regulations define social morality. They are often very little help in the growth of personal morality. The reason for this is not hard to understand. A law may prevent me from robbing my neighbor, but no law can prevent me from coveting his possessions and thinking of new and devious ways of making them mine. A law can discourage me, if not prevent me, from abandoning my wife and children, but it cannot stop me from making them miserable. A law can inhibit me from knifing an enemy, but it can do nothing if I merely hate him and make him feel my hate. The law, in short, can regulate my behavior within certain limits. It cannot cleanse my mind, nor purify my heart, nor neutralize the poison of my worst intentions. That is so true. And that's why it is so misguided to think our primary function in society is to teach the law. That our primary job in our Sunday school is to make our kids understand right from wrong. That's not our primary objective. That may surprise you. Well, these self-proclaimed teachers didn't understand it either. And so they spent their time in what Paul says were fruitless discussions, making confident assertions about things they didn't understand. They didn't understand the purpose of the law. And so they would just hammer away at the same things over and over again, trying to make people feel as if they knew what they're talking about. And said things that people would go, amen to that. They, in effect, spent all their time laying down the law defining what Christians should and should not do according to their understanding or misunderstanding of the law. And I think there's a real temptation for a church 
to do just that. It's, it's so easy to slip into legalism, especially in a permissive society. You know, we see what's wrong. And we know what's right because God has told us. And we start proclaiming it. And then we try to get people to do it. But since we don't live in a theocratic society, we can't make everyone obey God like fundamentalist Muslims can do. But we can use guilt and the threat of eternal damnation to try to control people. Scare them into doing what's right and being good. And sometimes it works for a while. You know, like a heavy-handed father who beats his kids into submission, we can make some people obedient through intimidation. But that is not the way to get people to love God and to love each other and to love themselves. So if love is the goal of our instruction and asserting the law doesn't produce love, what's it for? I think we begin to understand what it's for when we realize the law must be directed toward those who need it, not those who don't. When the law is properly targeted. Verses 8 through 10. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their father or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. The law is good if one uses it lawfully, if they use it as it's intended to be used. Realizing that the law is not made for a righteous man. Now, if we were all righteous, there'd be no need for laws. We'd all just do what's right. Right? Obviously, that's not the case. We don't live in a perfect world, and we're not perfect people, so the law is necessary. The law was given to create a society where people could live. Okay? It's very important. The law and the means to enforce the law are needed for the lawless. Those who know what's right but deliberately do what's wrong. The law is needed for those who are rebellious, who are unruly and insubordinate, who refuse to arrange themselves under the rule of God. The law is needed for the ungodly, those who refuse to recognize their responsibilities to their creator. The law is needed for sinners, those who have no moral standards, who have missed the mark or goal of their existence. The law is needed for the unholy, those who are careless in their duties toward God and violate the sanctities of God. The law is needed for the profane, those who pollute everything they touch, who soil the life God has given. In short, the law is needed for the unconverted, those who've not been changed 
into the image of Christ. Those who are by nature lawless, rebellious, ungodly, unholy, profane sinners. Those who kill their fathers and mothers figuratively or literally and all murderers. Those who are sexually immoral and perverted, who disregard God's plan for sex and his purpose in creating us male and female and enter into illicit or homosexual unions. Those who have no regard for others and view people as objects to be bought and sold. The word for kidnappers actually comes from the word that means to catch a man by his foot and refers primarily to the slave trade. The laws for those who lie and perjure themselves, swearing what is false to be true. And it's for those who do whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Now, these sound like terrible people. And they are. And we can see why they need laws. We need laws to control terrible people. The fact of the matter is, however, at one point in our lives, we were also unconverted. We rebelled against our maker. And we did our own thing, so we are all sinners. We may not have killed our mothers and fathers. We may not have been sexually immoral or slave traders, but chances are we lied to protect self-interest, and we certainly fall under the category of doing something contrary to sound teaching. So at one point in our lives, we all needed the law, because the law is designed to restrain lawless behavior. It gives us a standard for controlling what people do. It lets us know what behavior is unacceptable and provides us with the means of discouraging misbehavior. Read the Old Testament. Read it with the eyes wide open to the laws of God and the means he gave to man to enforce the laws of God on unconverted, unsaved people who needed to be controlled in this world. The law plays an important role in society, setting an acceptable standard of behavior that is necessary if we are to live together in any kind of civilized fashion. It won't make us love our neighbor, but it may keep us from killing him, and that obviously is a good thing, okay? So in short, the law makes bad people behave. It's not intended for those who have become righteous. So for those who gather in worship, those who gather in fellowship, those who've come to understand what Christ has done for them, we don't need to be hammering them with the law and browbeating people into behavior that meets our personal standard. The law wasn't for that. The law wasn't for that. But it does play a role in making bad people righteous if the demands of the law are tempered by the gospel. They work together. We need to go back and pick up verse 8 in order for verse 11 to make sense because verse 8 is the beginning and verse 11 the ending of one complicated sentence here in our text. 
But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The law is intended to be used in accordance with the glorious gospel. And what is the glorious gospel? It's the glorious good news of God. That sin can be forgiven. That Christ in love paid the penalty for sin. The purpose of the law, therefore, is merely to point out the fact that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. To give us an external standard by which we can judge our behavior. Because if we didn't have one, we would assume we're doing just fine. God, therefore, gave us a standard, one that no one can measure up against. A standard consisting of only ten commandments. Now, lest you assume you can measure up because you haven't murdered or committed adultery, let me remind you, the Ten Commandments also require you to honor your father and mother and to never bear false witness or covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. And as James 2.10 makes clear to us, to stumble in one point of the law is to become guilty of it all because it's a package deal. So the law condemns us. But the gospel declares we can be saved from the eternal consequences of our sinfulness. The gospel further declares that we can be made new, that we can be converted, changed into the image of Christ, and that his Holy Spirit will indwell us and give us the strength to avoid sin in all its forms. We can be freed from needing an external law to control us because we will have the law implanted within us. Now, that doesn't mean we should ignore the written laws of God. We still need to use them to double-check our behavior to make sure that we are walking in the light of God's word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's easy for us to become deceived even after we've been converted. And the written law helps us to make sure we're on the right track. So it's important that we go back and review the law, make sure our behavior is in keeping with what God has, has told us it must be. But the law is not the restraining force in our life. The love of Christ now restrains us. We do the right thing because we're loved and because our Lord paid dearly to free us from the bondage of sin and death. Therefore, we do not need teachers of the law in the church trying to make good Christians out of us by constantly telling us what we can and cannot do. You know, the world gets the idea that that's all the church is about, being against everything. And sad to say, some churches do just that. That's all you hear. That is not the purpose of our instruction. That's not why we gather. Now, there are times we need to go back to the law. We need to rethink some of our behaviors. 
Because we can be deceived, especially when the world is telling us all kinds of things are fine and redefining what's right and what's wrong. We need to clarify it. But not in an attempt to browbeat each other into obedience. That's not the purpose of preaching. I'm not here to beat you into being a good person. I'm here to share with you the good news of Christ. And that will change you. Our classes... We have some classes that are pretty intense in their teaching. But it's not just to make Bible scholars or to to make the kids afraid to do wrong. It's to make them fall in love with Jesus and the church and with Christian brothers and sisters and moms and dads and uncles and aunts who share the love of Christ. That's the purpose for all that we do as a body. That's our job. That's our job. We need teachers who can show us the love of Christ and build within us a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, some things are wrong. God has said they're wrong, and we cannot shy away from declaring them to be sinful. There's a tendency in the church today to to try to be so positive that they won't even say something's wrong. And that's wrong. We have to be willing to say, no, that cannot be done. That is not acceptable. That is not God's plan. Not so we can condemn the world, but so they can come to understand what God offers to them. And they can see in our life what God has given to us, a cleansing from sin, a power to live above sin, power to live as God intends us to live. We don't try to force people to behave. We share the law as well as the gospel, and the law in particular to get them to acknowledge the sin that's in their life so they can be forgiven. We can't just gloss it over and say, well, that's not wrong. Yeah, some things are wrong. You know, no one will accept the good news until they've heard the bad news, okay? So we do have a message of law to share with those outside the body in the hopes that they will see and understand what's wrong and come to understand how to be made right. And once they get in here, we reinforce that. That's our primary function as a body of believers, to keep people in love with God, in love with each other, and in love with themselves, understanding they are loved by God. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? That's the role of the church. We want people to know how to receive Christ. We want people to know his forgiveness and his love and his acceptance. We want people to know that through the blood of Christ, God can accept us just as we are and that God frees us. The blood of Christ frees us to become all he wants us to be. And it's the law that teaches us what he wants us to be. So it's a good thing and has its proper place in our teaching. And I share the law with you this morning, not as a club to beat anyone down, but simply as a standard to reveal the need for the gospel and to overwhelm you with the magnitude of God's love. Now, that passage we read gives a list of 
bad things. There's a real temptation to say, whoa, buddy, there's some good preaching here. You know, I could, I could, I could hammer people. Here, boy, I could, I could get on those uh, sinful people, those profane people, those homosexuals. Well, that would be popular. You know, liars. I, I, could, I could write a whole series. We could have a series of sermons on that passage, couldn't we? And try to hammer away at that. Paul just speaks it in passing and says all those people need to know the love of Christ. In another passage, he lists all those things again. And he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed. Praise God, that's where we stand today if we're in Christ. And the message we get when we gather together is one of love and acceptance and joy in Christ. It's not, it's not a beat-down session where we want the preacher to hammer somebody so we can go, Amen, you got him today, preacher. <laughs> that is so annoying to hear that. Because when I hear it, I know they've missed the mark of the gospel. It's not my job to make anyone feel bad. It's my job to teach you the truth so you can come to Christ. And begin to know you're loved. To enable you to love each other as a body. And to love yourself as someone who's been made into the image of God, been redeemed and empowered by his spirit. That is good news. And that's our job. If the law has revealed to you the need for grace and forgiveness, don't ignore it. Respond to it. Accept it. Come just as you are in need of forgiveness, knowing that through Christ you can experience love as God intends. And that as a body, we vow to love you as best we can. Let's stand.